You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church, to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church, to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Come one, come all to the greatest show on earth, The Worship Review, hosted by Colin, a nobody, and Tyler, a linguist. This is our second episode, uh, which is a wrap-up of the third series. And if that sounds complicated to you, imagine recording it two times in a row. We made a mistake, and uh, we recorded almost an hour's worth last time and for for part two of this wrap-up. And then we went back and... It was no good. But we are good. And you, listener, you are good. And <laughs> it sounds like I'm writing a worship song now. There you go. Let us yeah. Re- <laughs> yeah. You are good. Have you heard that good. song? Good. Oh, oh. Yes. That one? Yes. Let us look then back to series three, the second half. Um, we looked at Hymn of Heaven by Phil Wickham, Colin. You gave it two out of five fences around churches so this did not clear the bar for you and i'm wondering if it would in hindsight no it would not because this song had some big problems it didn't have some outright heresy but i have some strong objections to the second verse of this song where the emphasis in the lyrics was well the lyrics are Every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, in the end, we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. And I like that this is focused on Jesus returning, but the clear implication is that when Jesus returns, we'll just think about all of these things that we did, and those are the things that made it worth being with Jesus, not Jesus's work. It's the emphasis is entirely on our work, our prayer, our feelings of desperation, our singing songs, our doubts, our fears. And okay, it's great that Jesus wipes away our tears. That is wonderful. But we're going to be happy that Jesus redeemed us because of our sin and not be focusing on our good works. Right. And, and I just, I just find that emphasis, not only self-oriented, but kind of works-oriented as well, which gets into a theological problem. I mean, I don't think this is outright making a works-righteousness type argument. Otherwise, I would have given the song a one. But it is it is sort of dancing on that line. And to me, that, that just you cannot get a three. I, I view a three as kind of, you know, something like a passing grade, a low pass. And I just felt that this was too problematic. Verse two is where I would go if I were looking for reasons to criticize this song, as you've said. And I would identify the things that you've mentioned. I would also identify, as we did before, the potential for multiple meanings of this. Every prayer we prayed in desperation, uh, you have been taking it as every prayer which we prayed in desperation, as opposed to we prayed every prayer in desperation, (laughs) um, which would be false. And I think in hindsight, I would lower my three to a two 
not because I see a kind of works righteousness that you've identified or, or, a a possibility yeah. for works righteousness. I wouldn't outright say it's there, but yeah. it's, which is what you, you did not say that it yeah. was, you just said it was open, could be open to that. Yeah. Um, I don't see that tendency here as much, but what I do see that I think is maybe similar to what you're saying is an emphasis on a kind of almost economic calculation mm. at the end yeah. uh, when we're resurrected that we will look at what we now have and our reaction will not be to praise and give thanks, but actually to go back, recount the things and then ask ourselves, hmm, well, was it worth it in the end? I, I think that that is not accurate. Yeah. So I would lower it to a two. It would be better if he said something like, and on that day, we'll realize that all of our most righteous deeds were filthy rags, right? Yeah, that all sure. of our greatest works were, were actually just, you know, garbage. Or uh, even on that day, it will be clear that even to consider the value of our works is laughable and we'll be so focused on God's glory, yeah. his yeah. righteousness, his holiness. Yeah, and Christ's work. That yeah. such economic calculations will seem laughable to us yeah. about our own works. Yeah, because we're in a different economy at that point, sure. right? We're in God's economy where we could not bring anything of value, right? Anything of value we have came from God. We will be in his oikos at the very least, right? Correct. So, yes, the household. In, in well done. Yeah. So, after that, we went back to Africa, and we were in Uganda, where Jeremy and Adrian Camp's Death Has No Power mm. was quite popular. You, Colin, you gave it four out of five first harmonies, and I, I gave it three out of five aeroplanes. Mm. Now, Colin... Um, you have a pretty s strong endorsement of this song. Would you keep that in hindsight after uh, some time of reflection? Yeah, and I mentioned this, I think, in the the first part of this wrap-up, and that is that over time, as we started doing these kind of more radio songs, just you know, not necessarily songs that were designed to be sung in a church. As we did more of them, I realized that the standard for these songs has to be different than the kind of standard that we had in series one and series two. Now I knew that going in, but I guess without experiencing it. Um, so this was, by the time we get to this song, I'm realizing, oh, okay. Like the bar is a, the bar is a bit in a different spot. And so, yeah, I mean, four is, I mean, four is still generous and maybe I'm overcompensating because, um, this song, just because of its style reminds me of music that I led in the first church that I was in, which was a kind of, um, a kind of a, well, it's a Calvary Chapel church. This was back in the sixties. Is was, that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't think there was a Calvary Chapel in the 60s because it came out of the Jesus movement in the maybe the late 60s. You might have had Chuck Smith at that point had converted enough hippies to be a church. But so back in the late 90s and throughout a good chunk of the 2000s, 
I was leading worship in a Calvary Chapel church. And and this song just reminds me of a lot of those songs, just stylistically and in terms of words. And I, f- I feel like probably now I wouldn't sing a lot of those songs. I would have some objections to those songs, not because of a lot of doctrinal problems. I actually think many of the songs that I used to do in that church aren't necessarily theologically problematic. It's just that they were very open and maybe not very clear in some ways. And, and or, or, in some, or in some cases, like, like referencing bits of scripture, but without a lot of, uh, I don't know, just almost like shotgunning bits of scripture, like boom, this thing, and then this boom, this other unrelated thing from scripture, and boom, this image, and boom, this metaphor. And this song just kind of reminded me of that. And so I, I found myself after listening to it like, oh man, I, you know, just kind of bothered me a bit. And so maybe I overcompensated for, I was worried I was going to be too critical on it and gave it a four, but I don't see anything in this song that just really was terrible. I mean, there, there is the question as to whether the empty tomb heals our stains, assuming that stains is a euphemism for sin, which I think is fair to do. I think there were some other things in this song that were, were a bit of a problem, you know. So I mean it certainly is on that boundary between a 3 and a and a 4, but I just felt like being a bit more generous, I guess. What did you what do you think, Tyler? Yeah. I I'm going to stick with my 3, but it's a, probably the best 3 I've given if that makes sense sure. because there there is a lot of scripture in this song and even used in clever ways, such as my sacrifice of praise I bring because Jesus, you're my glorious King. In Hebrews 13, we learn that the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name is the sacrifice of praise. And so to do that in verse three is so clever. Um, And then the way that salvation is presented as this powerful work of Christ in which we are passive is it permeates the song in verse one we are carried in blood-stained arms and in the chorus we stand in the wake of victory so very good things here um as a reflection upon our new status in christ i got some feedback from listeners that i think you might like to talk about the first is criticizing your objection to the blood-stained arms mm-hmm. because you thought of Carrie. And a listener said, that's your problem, not the song's problem. What would you say to that? I mean, I think that is a fair uh, criticism because it is true, of course, that Jesus' sacrifice was physically gory. And this is inescapable. And I certainly wouldn't want to pretend that it wasn't the case. I do, yeah, and I guess maybe I'm speaking of myself. I do have a, um, I do have a concern that it's possible to focus too much on the passion of Christ, right? The, yeah, I mean, but also just the, the sacrifice of uh, not the sacrifice, but the, the, the physical torment yeah. 
that's kind of what I meant because yeah. many people oh, like criticized that film, The Passion right. of the Christ, for its emphasis, right? Or, and perhaps even overemphasis on yeah the physical aspect. Obviously, Christ's physical pain and torment is important, and and it's a good thing to recognize it in song. So, um, I it's just to me, and again, this this really verifies, I think, the listener's criticism. This isn't this. You know, the, everything I'm saying, I think the listener would hear this and say, yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. That's what you're doing. Um, for me, yes. Uh, I just find that the idea of blood-stained arms a bit of a clumsy way of referencing the physical torment of Christ. In again, I think the song does a good job. It doesn't over-focus on that. So, yes, I, I mean, th- but to be, you know, to be fair to myself— I'm not saying that that one line is affecting my score. You know what I'm saying? It's I'm, I just, for me, I'm just pointing out, I just find that a bit of a clumsy phrase. There might've been a more elegant way to note Christ's physical punishment. Um, uh, maybe not, but I, I'll, I'll take the criticism as fair. So in that sense, I hope the listener and other listeners will, you know, not hear what I'm saying as, and I think this is an objective problem with the song. It is definitely kind of my own sort of personal concern. And therefore they should, you know, yeah, take it with a pinch of salt or maybe a a whole scoop. And it's unfortunate that this listener is not with us to present the criticisms himself because, um, as faithful as I'm trying to be to the listener, I'm sure that I'm not always going to present yeah. the criticisms in the fairest light. So no, and that um, I mean I, I am unfortunately mediating to an extent, right? And that's you know that's the other issue too is is what I've had this happen to me several times where I've written a letter to somebody or I've or I've hate mail, yeah, right? Um, or you know I've sent a sent an email. I don't know. I can think of situations where I've made a comment or asked a question and it was answered in a public way. Right. And within the first five seconds of the answer, it's like, no, 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 you're dismissing what I'm saying or no, 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 you're, that's not really what I asked. You missed the point. Exactly. Like that has happened to me. So I, you know, with a listener that has provided, hopefully we're honoring the thought and intention behind listener comments. And I will just say, if that ever does if it ever is the case where that doesn't happen, or I should say maybe when it is the case that that doesn't happen, because it's just almost inevitable. Um, you know, I hope listeners know that that's not intentional or, um, yeah, hope, hopefully we're, we're answering questions and queries and criticisms in good faith. In the spirit of answering these things in good faith, I think we have a fundamental hurdle to overcome and that is the following feedback from a listener, which I will read in order to be presenting it as faithfully as possible. With some applications of certain clarity charges, there seems to be an implied rejection of poetic license. Sometimes, mind you, many of your clarity concerns are spot on, but at times it is as if you've never heard of the near necessity of poetic license in poems and songs, you don't know how it works, you reject the listener's responsibilities. You think it should not be allowed in songs used in communal worship. 
you think it is being misused as in done incorrectly or with avoidable vagueness. So Colin, how would you respond to this listener feedback? Oh, what a professional way to ask that question. Um, okay, great. Uh, yeah, great point or points, I should say. Appreciate that criticism. Uh, there was a, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago now, which referenced a quotation from Don Carson. And I don't remember the exact quotation, but it went something like, to paraphrase it, it went something like, the songs that we sing in church have got to combat not only the like sin and heresy and wrong thinking that is out in the culture, that is outside of us, right, in some way, external to the believer and to the church. So there's that problem. But Carson was also saying that, Carson also said, the songs that we sing in church also have to combat the heresies and wrong beliefs and wrong ideas about Christ, about God, about his word, about his work that are in our own hearts. So I know that when I come into a church service, when I approach God's word, when I approach God in prayer, I am doing so obviously by the grace of God. And at the same time, I'm doing so in still in my corruption. And so I need my wrong ideas about God corrected regularly. And the worship music has to be a part of that process. And so that's why poetic license, while absolutely crucial and important and biblical, it is in the Psalms, it is in the prophets, it is in the words of Christ in some respects, you could say, through some of the parables and and other uh, comments that he made and that were recorded in scripture. So poetic license is clearly a not only just stylistically a good thing, it is biblical at the same time. The poetic license in the Bible, poetic language, metaphor, etc., serve the purpose of making truth clear and making the deeds of God known, ma- making it easier to understand God and to have relationship with him and appreciate him and his glory and, and glorify him. So we have to hold that same standard. We have to hold the songs we sing in church to that same standard. So it doesn't mean we we reject poetic license, and obviously the listener, I'm sure, doesn't obviously from the comment doesn't knows that we don't reject poetic license. But the bar has to be high, uh, and it, it, there's just kind of no way. So you know, there are definitely you know part of my own part of my own sin is could also be rejecting some legitimate forms of poetic license. I'm not going to pretend one of the, one of the fallacies of kind of conservative Christians is we think that abstaining or rejecting or criticizing or uh, abolishing uh, 
is synonymous with protecting and, uh, you know, orthodoxy and that sort of thing. And that's not always the case at all. So I definitely, one of the things that I can benefit from in this listener feedback is reflecting on, are there times where I'm rejecting legitimate and even beneficial use of poetic license? Because I don't want to do that. Uh, And so I, I need to continue to make sure that that's the case. At the same time, I do think care it is better to err on the side of care in this area and you know obviously the 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 f- sort of one of the farthest ends of that spectrum is going to be we only sing the word of god in a church service right um that is one end and there are many churches that do that and there's the other end of the spectrum which i'm sure the listener would disagree with i'm i, I great confidence, I'm sure that the listener would disagree with, right? Which is kind of anything goes. So what's going to regulate, you know, what is going to regulate what is being sung in a church service? What regulates the poetic aspects of the service? And I definitely lean way more on the side of as close to the word of God as possible. And so poetic license needs to conform to that as much as possible. Uh, stylistically in terms of content etc in terms of kind of overall approach and in times where i'm not doing that where i'm just bringing in my own conservatism and um, maybe even my own kind of censor um, and actually trampling on what is good biblical uh what is good biblical poetry um obviously um I, you know, I repent of that and I definitely don't want to do that. So I really appreciate what the listener has to say. And yet I do think, um, so it's good for me to think about, um, but I do hope that most of the time my criticisms of poetic language in songs is explained, you know, and, and kind of is based on concerns of sticking as closely to scripture in terms of content and style as possible. What do you think, Tyler? I think that there are different degrees of poetic license. It's kind of scalar. So on the one hand, maybe the mildest form is playing with the grammar of a language in order to achieve a desired poetic effect. Uh, Maybe your syntax is funny. You, You put words in different order. Um, this a good example would be in English if rhyming requires it. You are permitted the poetic license in many cases to put a verb at the end of a sentence, even though that's not where we normally put verbs, in order to make something rhyme. And and even churches that sing only the Psalms, for example, will will do that sort of thing, right? They'll they'll move some words around to make them rhyme or to make them fit in a meter. Yeah, or they will, in many cases retain archaic syntax and archaic linguistic elements, even though it's really no longer a part of the the modern lexicon in English, they will retain archaic elements and then present them as if uh, there's nothing abnormal about it. And I think that's also a kind of poetic license that people permit using these and thous instead of use, even though we would never do that in speech. Um, 
it's a kind of accidental poetic license if it happens to have been normal when the poem was written and we're still using it. Um, but there's also a larger, I say larger, maybe further down the spectrum of poetic license, there's altering minor details about a story to uh, catch the listener's attention or maybe emphasizing something that needn't necessarily be emphasized but is done in order to um, stir the affections of the listener. And then there's poetic license at the far end of the spectrum that subverts facts in order to make a certain point. And it, it, at that point, I think that is poetic license which denies the significance of objective truth. And I think that's really, we, we cannot permit that kind of poetic license. Um, but the first one is certainly permissible, and the second one is probably permissible, depending on the context. But this, a lot of the issues surrounding this comes down to what is the role of the human intellect in worship. Uh, and I think, Colin, you and I would say the human intellect needs to be engaged. We need to be dealing, to some extent, with reforming the mind of the person through worship. Correct. They need to engage their brains yeah. and think and have things clarified for them. And so anything that would be um, contrary to truth would be ultimately contrary to a sanctification of the individual singing yeah, and worship. That's right. And it would be contrary to the character of God because God is truth. So I think I'm not saying, let me be clear about what I'm not saying. I'm not saying worship is exclusively or even necessarily primarily an intellectual endeavor, but it um, is at least partially an intellectual uh, yeah. activity. Yeah, and I, I struggle to see how that component could be absent and it still be worship. But it happens, Colin. Yeah. There are, I think, anti-intellectual or a-intellectual services that are primarily concerned with passion, emotion, feeling. Yeah. These are not bad things, but no. when they're devoid of truth, they can become very dangerous, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we're wrestling with this element. And when I am harsh on a song, it is usually because it omits some element of what I believe to be the truth. Yeah. This would be one of those, uh, it would be great if we had the listener with us. I think this would be a, a good conversation to have. And I imagine, you know, I hope this listener will continue to pitch in thoughts on this because, you know, one of the, I mean, I hope the, I hope the podcast is beneficial to listeners and it, there are people that listen to the podcast, which suggests that it is. Um, but I will say it's been really beneficial to me because, you know, it's forcing me to think about some of these things that I kind of imagined I had already thought through and it's becoming clear to me. It, it became clear to me from almost the very beginning that we started doing this podcast, even just talking with you, let alone listeners. Oh my goodness. Like I haven't even scratched the surface of some of these ideas about theology of worship and, and a variety of other aspects. And so, you know, it's helping me to kind of reform my own thinking. And so I'm very grateful for the listener to for providing the feedback and hopefully, um, you know, 
other, you know, this listener and other listeners who kind of have a critical, um, a critical ear for, for some of the things that we're saying, will continue to pitch in. Indeed. And it helps reform this podcast for the better. I think so. Yeah. To be pushed against. Mm-hmm. The eighth song in our third series was The Father's House by uh, Corey yeah. Asbury, Colin's favorite Christian musician. And surprisingly, Colin gave this song a one out of five, even though he's such a big fan of Corey Asbury. One out of five non-refundable fees. And I, softy that I am, gave it two out of five Jericho wows. Jericho wow. Wow, 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 wow. You know, uh, <laughs> I think Corey Asbury is a phenomenal musician. He has incredible control over his vocals. Assuming that he's involved in the songwriting process, I mean these songs are, you know, are often cleverly written for what they are. I'm not saying that their theology is very good. Um, the music is amazing. His ability to perform is amazing, but this song was a stinker in a few different respects. Uh, you know, they're, they're just, they're just a one for me is doled out to a song that really has some, not just implied problems, but some kind of clear and obvious problems and we see that in a few different places arrival's not the end game the journey's where you are well that's just not true i mean <laughs> you know and i talked about this on the episode so i won't rehash it there but that's that's just that's just false that's just wrong and um you never wanted perfect you just wanted my heart again that is false it's fundamentally false and it's it's really quite a devastating comment on Christ's transformative work in the life of the Christian. Christ's righteousness is perfect. Thank goodness God wanted perfect um, because that's what made, because Christ was perfect. And that's the only way I get in. I'm not going to get in because God just wanted my heart. My heart is corrupt and foul and um, deceitful above all things. Um, God wanted, um, God demanded perfection. And by the grace of God, in sending his own son, who was perfect, perfect sacrifice to atone for my sin and the perfect righteousness to be accounted to me, I am made righteous and I am able to, um, to, 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 to be a follower of God and to, and to be with him forever, um, to arrive as it were, um, to the place where God wanted to meet because it, to, to, to arrive as it were to the place where God wants me to be. And that's because arrival is part of the end game. And indeed the journey is also important too, obviously, but arrival is really important. So, I mean, just in that alone, there are two just real falsehoods, right? To use the currency of the day, it's misinformation, baseless, baseless misinformation, and pernicious falsehoods at that because mm. they, they teach us things about God and about Christ that are not true yeah. and about ourselves. I find it very fascinating that you mentioned an arrival because this is the listener's feedback. It's interesting how veneration of journeys or questions, which is usually paired with diminution of destinations and answers, may have made its way into this song. It's one of those approaches that seems to sound humble and adult to a lot of people. 
for example, we should acknowledge that we can't ever say we're really sure of anything. That's always arrogance. It kills all discussion, and discussion is important, you know, in the middle, the open space where all the views can be heard, blah, 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 <laughs> vomit. Did he say vomit? Yes. yes then he said, great. denial of surety and of planned or correct endings, arrivals, conclusions, answers, finality, etc., is inherently unchristian. I wonder if that's behind some of the concerning verses. Yeah. It sounds like you two are thinking very similarly yeah. about this song. Yeah. His final feedback for me and for you is that you gave it a one and I gave it a two. And he wants to know what's wrong with me to an extent. <laughs> no, he, he says, let me be fair. He says, I don't think I'm always interested in one point's difference, but maybe when one of you is at the extreme and the other one isn't, some discussion might be interesting. Hmm. So Tyler, do maybe I guess the first question is, do you still think it should be a two? And maybe that will resolve this problem quickly. Or are you going to defend your two? This song has a lot of problems. I am definitely not denying that. Um, veneration of the journey, as our listener put it. This falsehood that God never wanted perfect. Something like a failure is never final when the father is in the room. Oh, yeah. Confusing. Um, love. So when we talk about Jericho and love breaking through, if you go to Joshua 6, they kill every living thing <laughs> in the city. And you're like, well, is that really love? Except for Rahab the prostitute and her household. Is that love breaking through? I, I do think it is, but maybe that's a diversion. Sure. You could, you could make an argument that it is. Yeah, but... I don't know. Actually, can I, I'll just say very briefly, I won't divert too much, but this is my wife and I've been talking a lot about this lately because we, in our church, we're going through uh, numbers and we've been thinking about how uh, God's cleansing of the land of Canaan that follows in Joshua, it seems harsh, but if you, if you think about the fact that so much of what God does with Israel is a foreshadowing of what God plans to do with his church. Um, it kind of makes sense because God wants Israel to cleanse the land and God's intention is that the promised land be filled with his people and his people only. And so, you know, in the same way that God is really severe about this, the wicked and rebellious people in Canaan who have rejected him, like it is going to be a good thing that God be perfectly um, just with those who have um, rejected him in the future and that God will sanctify his bride, the church, and utterly purge sin from our hearts as well. So um, it, is, and it is a loving thing. It is a loving thing for Israel that God does punish, you know, everybody in Jericho in a sense, right? And it is a, and it is a, a, forward-looking sign for us now to remember, oh yeah, this is what God is going to do to the sin that is in us. This is what God is going to do to the new earth. He is going to cleanse the earth and redeem it. You know, these are yes. these are good things anyway. So yes, I see your point, and that is Jericho is love breaking through. But if you are a citizen of Jericho, if you are uh, a wicked person, love is a terror to you. Yeah, sure. And I don't think this song is saying that necessarily. So no. that's my 
pushback. When it, it seems sl- love is it's breaking sloppy. through, yeah. it's not saying love is a terror to the wicked. No, it's saying no. um, strongholds yeah. are shaken. I, yes. I, I'm not quite sure. It's suddenly using that weird, it's, it's like flipping the meaning of the metaphor. Like he's trying to make an analogy with Jericho, but it's an analogy that is not at all based on what's actually happening, right? Yeah. If you are a kidnapper and you've taken someone's <laughs> children and hidden them away somewhere. Yeah. Well, the SWAT love team looks yeah. like, you know, the dad or the SWAT team kicking yeah. in the door and, you know, put putting guns in your face and saying step away from the children right now. Yeah. That is what love looks like in that context. It's not pretty. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, this song has a lot of problems and I really don't like to contradict myself, but I think yes, but I, I don't think you can justify the two. So All right. I will say it's one good man. Yeah. I, it's more important to be honest than to be consistent. Yeah. Um, I, ideally you're both. Let me just say, well, that you know, the, you know, it sounds like the, the science of worship has changed. <laughs> the science has changed. We are looking at joyous celebrations. Denzel Unsendo, hymn three, seven, seven, which seem to be repackaged. Abide with me. Yeah. Colin, you gave this a two out of five light cannons because you didn't want Christians singing these words. And I gave it three <laughs> out of five sleigh bells, keyboard players, because I don't mind Christians singing these words uh, to put spin on it. Colin, what would you say to that characterization of your score? Uh, I will just say that I'm a much better and humbler person than you. Cause I'm actually happy to maybe adjust my score on this. I think I was too hard on this. Contradict song. yourself or adjust your score. You've changed the language now. <laughs> <laughs> I am happy to contradict myself. I'll go full on here. Uh, I will contradict my earlier self. Okay. And say, uh, I think this is one of those songs having looked at all the songs that we did for this series. I don't think it, I don't think it goes into two realm. I don't think it's implying anything in the song that is problematic. I do think the words of this song are a bit vague. And I do think that it's focused on overly focused on some of the wrong things in ways that are difficult to understand. And I don't think it fully explains what God's purpose really is in this song, apart from just kind of, being around so there's the, the the substance in this song is wanting and certainly if we're talking about a song to be sung in church i do not think this would be a good song to sing in church and that you know if this was in season one or two i would have given it a two and i gave it a two when we originally looked at it relative to everything else in series three i'd give it the kind of the lowest version of three that i could very generous of you, giving it the lowest version of three. I mean, well, you gave there, the song the highest version of three, that's right? That's true. That's true. We're introducing a sub, yes. so gradient without scales. doing it. Yeah, without yes. without going going to point five, we're no, sort of no. we're sort of we have to keep it at a yeah. five point scale, otherwise it gets it gets way out of hand. Although, yeah, it just it obliterates the point right of the scale. Anyway, a listener commented that this was the only song that we looked at up to this point that did not sound like a generic Christian song, in a sense. Uh, many mm. of them sound like repackaged pop songs, but mm. not this one. Finally, we looked at 
Deborah Lukalu, and I'm going to do a little dance here. Listeners, you Tyler can't see is this. actually doing a little bit of things with his hands. Imagine He's, my hands moving from side to side and up and down and yep. diagonals. Yep. This was, I, I, and I'm doing that because this is a very, very catchy and dancey upbeat yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This song is called Favor Celebration slash Call Me Favor by Deborah Lukalu. Colin, you gave this two out of five song t shirts. And grumpy old me, I gave it one out of five hankies. And I believe the deal breaker for me after all of this was when she just started shouting and I'm laughing because I still find it kind of funny. I am the favor of God. I am the yeah. favor of God. Um, I couldn't go that far with it. And so I still think I would keep it at one out of five because I'm, I'm still not convinced that she is following the Old Testament naming practices. It, that was the one way in which I could make sense of the call me favor uh, lines in the song. And I'm not convinced that's You're what You're not going to budge on that. Yeah, I, I mean, to know. go back to something that a listener said earlier, you know, if there's if someone's on the extreme end and someone else isn't, there, there should be a conversation about that. So, I mean, maybe we'll have a, for a short one about this. Yeah, I I am not convinced that this is a one. And I, I'm a little bit surprised... I remember being surprised when you gave this one a one and did not give uh, Corey Asbury's Asbury song a one. Cause to me, what he did was more egregious. And I saw your point uh, when you talked about this. Oh yeah. And I actually, but I actually hadn't even noticed that. And that, that's not to say that that, I mean, I did notice once you pointed out to me. So you don't care about the favor well, of, no, I do, and especially I'm just kidding. I'm no, just kidding. Well, yes, and once, but once you mentioned it, it's like okay, yeah, this is definitely a problem. Um, I just didn't see it. Like I know it's almost like you seem to see it as like a, a almost a blasphemy or something. Uh, you know, something like that. Um, and uh, it's hard because we don't quite know the intentions, and obviously we tried not. I don't know. This is a delicate. Right, this is a delicate thing because intentions cannot. Everybody, I'm sure. Let's just assume everybody that's that's written every song that we sung about good intentions. Like, let's assume like Corey Asbury's "The Father's House" or "Reckless Love" is sung with good intentions. Well, that doesn't that doesn't change the what they actually wrote. So we can't take that into account. At the same time, um, do we have warrant? I guess. I guess what I'm wondering, and maybe you can help me understand, or. Maybe you have a thought of it. What is really the warrant for seeing that as, yeah, blasphemous? Or maybe you could expound a little bit on her, you know, where she's saying, I am the favor of God. What, what really convinces you that this is, you know, stepping into the realm of, yeah, you know, yeah, a pro, you know, just where it's, it's quite a severe problem. Um, just to go into context we have, please call me favor. Papa has done too much for me. I'm living only by his grace. And then bless me, bless me, Papa. Then we have, I am the favor of God. As I said in the show itself, there's really only one sense in which this works. And that is by I am, she means I am called or my name is this. Uh, because obviously she does not embody this attribute of God, his mercy, his favor unmerited favor as grace is often defined and 
if she means, and I don't know what she means. I don't think we have author's commentary on this song. Um, if she means I am called this, then I would certainly not give this a one. But I don't think we have enough evidence from the song that that's what she means. For example, after this, she says, one, two, three, say, favor, favor, favor. Everybody say, favor, favor, favor. Um, and then and then she says, you are the favor of God. Oh, yeah. You're the favor of God. It's It seems like it's almost a catchphrase. Like, I'm the favor of God. You're the favor of God. Yeah. Uh, my cousin is the favor of God. You know, my brother is the favor of God. I'm not comfortable allowing that only because it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And if she could make sense of it to me in a way that was consistent and coherent. And she clarified that she was talking about Christians. Yeah. I am, you are, that's meant to exclude non-Christians. Then I think I could go with it, but fine. it's not even something that's the principle might be scriptural. If it's this old Testament, old Hebrew naming practice that we were talking about, but we don't have instances where people declare themselves to be the favor specifically. Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we have God sees, God hears, these use his names, but I don't know about I am the favor of God. That's so, true. Um, this yeah. Would, yeah. This would be, you know, it would be great if we get enough listeners that we uh, become kind of uh, a necessary venue for songwriters and worship leaders to come onto the podcast and answer, you know, a little meet the press kind of thing, right? Um, I don't think they ever would do it, but, uh, you know, it would be neat to ask whoever kind of penned this, these lyrics, I would love to ask them kind of what's going on. And there've been times in the podcast where we've tried to find interviews and things like that to try to get a sense as to what people, you know, get more clarity about what they might mean about something. But I know I just, I, for me, I didn't feel like there's enough here to, push me over to say, yeah, this is clearly problematic, regardless of intentions, um, which obviously, again, we, we want to be careful about factoring, actually factoring in. We have to evaluate what's there. But just even what's there, it's just hard for me to, it's just hard for me to understand what this means. And so maybe in my confusion, I just thought, well, I'm not fully aware of what's going on here. So maybe would it be arrogant for me to, you know, to give it a one when there's the, the maybe other possible interpretations that I'm missing? I don't know. But this is kind of like different perspectives on personal safety, for example. Oh, People sure. say, if I don't know what's behind that door, I'm going to treat it as if there's enemies behind that door. Yeah, yeah like, sure. Well, I'll just go in and find out. And, which is sometimes a really irrational, often, Both. or most of, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can make a case for each of them in certain contexts. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, if it's a kindergarten and you think there's enemies behind the yeah, door, Yeah, that's you crazy, door, right, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, if you're in a certain part of the world or a certain neighborhood or a certain situation... It's like, yeah, well, that might be a pretty reasonable thing. So, and I don't know. So maybe you ate some guacamole that day. That was not very good for you. Maybe, maybe bad guacamole. Um, but like, you know, it, I don't know. This song just doesn't, just doesn't give a lot. It's just talking about favor. I, I don't, I still actually don't know what is meant by favor. I still don't even know exactly what that is talking about. It said like, she talks about blessing 
a little bit. She Living uses, by his grace, only by his grace. Yeah. So, you know. The Swahili, according to Google Translate, says, whose life is it? Our life is Jesus. Not bad. Forever, forever. A fat. <laughs> okay. Play is like fat. Celebrate Jesus. So okay. it, it does seem to end on uh, celebrate. Maybe Jesus, fat is like a like youth. Like, like goals, it means yeah, fat, right, like abundance. Means great. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I don't know. All right. Mafuta, I think, is the Swahili word. All right. Well, so, what else do we have to wrap up, Tyler? That's it. Okay. Oh, Colin, I forgot to mention. This is important. We've been doing this for a year now. Oh yeah. That's yeah. exciting. That's incredible. When I ta- can't believe we haven't killed each other yet <laughs> no we've actually been quite a- i mean we've waved some guns yeah for sure i mean we've thought about moving yeah we've thought about moving the podcast to um to uh the united kingdom where you know they'd take away those for us fortunately so we'd stop waving them at each other there's always a threat of violence on the on, in the studio here but yeah. we've managed to keep it together it's been pretty good I don't know if I figured how, I mean, I know when, when we started talking about this, it was sort of like, all right, well, let's, you know, we'll do, we'll do 10 episodes. If we like it, we will like it. If we don't, we'll just make those 10 episodes. And yeah. And we're still, I think, finding the direction that this podcast is going and it's exciting to have as many listeners as we do. We hope that you will uh, leave us feedback, send us emails, uh, share us with your friends I'm definitely open, Colin, and I'm sure you are too, to some extent, to having vetted people on the show oh, yeah, too. Absolutely. It'd be nice to talk to some of you music, ch- church musicians and other professionals yeah. who do this. Uh, and it does, you don't have to be somebody, you don't have to be some superstar, you know? I, I think it would be really great just to talk to people that are leading worship or writing songs in a kind of, you know, small, regular sized churches, that sort of thing. Um, we intended to have guests on. And, you know, we know a few church musicians and pe- people who have expertise in church history and uh, history of church music and that sort of thing. And we just never got around to doing it. Uh, you know, to show is like when you're trying to get, you know, this last week was the first week we ever missed. Um, you know, we've just kind of boom, boom, boom each week. And despite the fact that, you know, you had a second child, you know, you and your wife had a second child. Um, you know, I, I got 10 years, there's a variety of things that have been major projects and major events in our lives apart, you know, even in, including the, obviously the other major disturbances that have happened over the last, you know, year or so. So, um, anyway, hopefully we can, yeah, it'd be nice to have some guests. It would be nice to, um, grow the, grow the listenership. So yeah, do please tell, tell people. And thank you to those of you who have been listening to the show. Yes, thank yeah. you very much. Colin, I just realized, you know what would be fun mm. for a small mini-series? Looking at the celebrity Christian, by which I mean celebrities who become Christians or start practicing oh, the Christian yeah, yeah. services and music. So yes. Justin Bieber, Bieber, after he converted, Kanye West, after he yeah. had the spiritual awakening. Yeah. Then he started doing this thing called Sunday service, where yes. he's leading big worship gatherings. Yes. That would be fun at some point. Yes. So maybe that can be in the that future. That would be an interesting. Yeah. You, there are there are enough of those that you could come. There could. Yeah. It could. You could fill a fill a list mini of series episodes. of some kind. Yeah. So listeners, if you have uh, comments on that or other ideas for the show, let yeah. us know. We're open to that. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you. See you next Monday. Take care. You've been listening to the worship review. 
subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview.